Well, good morning and welcome. My name is Aaron Osborne. I'm one of the pastors here and it's my privilege and joy to share with you God's word today. Uh, We just finished up our All Things New series uh, talking about why we're here. Why we exist as a church, you know, we're here to, to gather together as believers, to grow in our relationship with the Lord, to give of our, our time, our talents, and our treasures uh, as we go out into this world to make uh, God's name known and magnified all for the glory of God. We, we finished up our, our five G's uh, next week. Uh, Jim will be back uh, talking about joy, Jesus, and I'm sure there's some other J's that Jim has for us. Um, today, I want to share with you something that's really been ministering to me uh, from God's word, and I pray it is an encouragement and blessing to you today. I played baseball uh, growing up, and when I was in eighth grade, I was batting, and in came a fastball going around 70 miles an hour up and in, and it hit me right in my cheek and my nose. Now, I initially fell down to the ground, but I'd been being plenty of times playing baseball, tried to spring back up, and I still remember my coach run over like, no, 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 stay down, stay down, stay down. Um, so what I didn't realize is I just, I had blood just like gushing out of my nose, coming out of my eyes. So I, I was, I was a bloody mess. However, my pinch runner did come in, tie the game for us. So that's important. <laughs> um, That did, however, end my baseball uh, playing career. Um, I had a a broken nose, fractured my eye orbital. Um, It was a a mess. Um, And for the next uh, few months, month or so, just everything, everything was off with my vision. Not only because I had a swollen eye, even after the swelling went down, just it wasn't right for a little while. You know, and in that time, I could, I just kind of like half see the world around me. Maybe the same is true for a lot of you if you wear glasses. Without your glasses on, you can see the colors, you can see the shape, but really to see that detail of what's going on in the world around you, you need your glasses on. There's some pretty significant things you're missing out on. And I think the same is true in our relationship with God. With my physical sight... I can only see a portion of what's going on around me. Uh, I, I can only see a portion of what God is doing. And with my physical sight, if I'm only relying on that, so often I miss out on God's might, his power, and his provision in my life. And today, uh, I want to look at three uh, stories about spies, all during the life of Joshua. And in each of these stories, we're going to see what they physically saw, what the spies physically saw. We're going to see their conclusions based on their sight. Um, but we also want to take a look at what's, what's maybe the fuller reality from God's perspective. Not just, not just looking without my glasses on, but seeing the full picture. And here's my key point that I would love for you to take away from today. It's simply this. I should doubt my perception before I doubt God's promises. See, when there's some sort of conflict between what I physically see and the promises of God, I need to trust his promises. That's where we're going to go today. 
Heaven, uh, I come before you grateful and thankful for this day that you've blessed us with. Lord, as, as we are entering this, this Christmas season, Lord, we're reminded of all the awesome things that you have done for us in sending your one and only son into this world for us, Lord. And so God, today may our hearts just be full of joy, rejoicing in your goodness. And God, as, as we look at your word today, I pray that you would teach us much from it. God, I pray that, that today it would point us to put our hope and our confidence not in what we see, but in your promises and in your goodness. God, would you teach us today? And Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight today. In your son's name we pray, amen. Now, many of you are probably familiar with the story of, of Moses sending the 12 spies into the promised land. This is the first spy story that we'll look at. Uh, the Israelites had spent 400 years in captivity uh, in Israel, excuse me, in Egypt. Um, and uh, at the end of that time, God hears their cries and he sends Moses to deliver them. And there's this great deliverance they experience from the hands of the Egyptians through the 10 plagues, the parting of the Red Sea. Um, and God just richly provides for them as they come out of slavery. Now they're in the, in the wilderness for a little bit. They go to Mount Sinai. They receive God's law, his commands. But now it's finally time for them to enter the promised land, to fulfill all of God's promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so Moses uh, starts off and he sends out 12 spies into the land, uh, one from each of the tribes. Um, and they go and they spend 40 days walking around the land, surveying the land, checking it all out. And they all come back with this report that, yeah, the land is really good. It's, it's flowing with milk and honey. It is great. And Joshua and Caleb are confident that the Lord can defeat all of their enemies in that land. However, the other 10 spies give this report. And this is found in Numbers chapter 13, uh, starting in verse 31. They say this, Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. So we seemed to them. First thing I said we want to look at is, is what did they physically see? Well, it says really clearly, it says they saw men of, of great size. They saw that their enemies were bigger, stronger, tougher, more powerful than them. And, and in many ways, this was probably true, right? Their enemies were great. It would be this huge undertaking to take the promised land. But you'll notice their report is only based on their physical sight. So second, what were their conclusions based on their physical sight? You can keep reading in this passage and they'll say, hey, they're like, let's just bail on this whole promised land thing. Let's get rid of, get rid of Moses, get rid of Egypt. Let's give us some new leaders and let's head back to Egypt. We can't do this, so let's just give up. Their enemy just looked impossible based on their physical sight. However, if you're familiar with this story, um, you know it is only part of the picture. 
It is only considering their physical strength and it completely ignores God's strength and God's power. And this is what Joshua and Caleb are going to appeal to the people. I'm like, look, God defeated the Egyptians before. Of course he can do this. Why won't we trust him? And this is the third thing I want us to see with each of these spy stories, God's greater perspective. And his perspective here is God is the one who can raise up kings and he can take down kings. Egypt was probably the most powerful empire in the world at the time. And God easily defeated them. He easily got them out of slavery. And if he did that, of course, he can deal with the people of Canaan. But they only care about what they can physically see. And, and I know it's easy to, to get on the Israelites for this and be like, well, where's their faith? How, how, why do they believe God? What's wrong with them? But if I'm honest, I do this all the time. I, I see it in what I complain about and what I worry about. Uh, back in uh, 2013, my family was trying to move from our uh, townhouse uh, in Centerville uh, to something a little closer to RBC and something with a little more space for our growing family. Market was hot then, just like it is now. We sold our townhouse in Centerville, no problem. Uh, we moved into my parents' basement for just a time of transition. Then we put offer on a house and got outbid, and we did it over and over and over again. And I remember in that time talking with God and really complaining to God. Um, it's like, God, what was wrong with that house? Seriously. I, I mean, I don't see anything wrong with it. Um, God, why aren't you providing? I mean, part of the reason we were thinking of moving um, was so we can adopt. And we're like, God, we th thought you led us to this. Like, where are you? Did, wh why aren't you showing up, God? I mean, Seriously, I'm a pastor here. Like, I should have get some, like, special favor, something, God. And I'm starting to doubt the goodness and the provision of my God. And now, after plenty of whining, and God did show himself strong, and we live in a house about a five-minute walk from here right across the street, and I'm richly, richly blessed. See, God, God knows my needs. He knows our needs even before we know our needs. And he promises that he's always with us. He promises to provide. He says, hey, I clothe the, the lilies of the field. I can clothe you. I can take care of you. Feed the birds of the air. I can take care of you. So often, though, I just want things on my time. And my physical eyes saw the housing market exploding, and that worry comes, and they're like, wow, if, if prices are going up and up, and I'm just going to keep getting outbid, and I'm going to end up homeless. But when there's a conflict between what I physically see and the promises of God, I need to trust in his promises. I should doubt my perception before I doubt God's promises. And part of trusting in those promises is really means I, I can't complain. You know, just as a, a little contrast for you and where I've seen the Lord work in, in my life and in my heart, uh, just a, a little over a month ago, my family's minivan, uh, there's a cylinder cracked in the engine. It's done, um, and we needed a new vehicle. Again, a great time for that. Um, terrible market, that was sarcasm. Um, and I was like, seriously, God, you know, I did have some other things I wanted to do with my week. I thought that were kind of useful, but to be honest, I was like, 
God, okay. And there was just this peace that was over me. I was like, I don't, you know, again, I had some other things I was going to do, but this is what you have for me this week. I'm okay with it. And I just, I had uh, this peace instead of complaining about my situation. And I don't have time to get in the whole story here, but God was really faithful in his provision. And, and those of you who know this story, I just publicly say thanks. You guys have been really good. In, in a similar vein on complaining, I think about worrying. And now I'm not talking about clinical anxiety and depression here. I, I understand there's some much deeper things here in this arena. But I'm, I'm talking about the, the things that seem to overly consume too much of my brain power as a, when, I, when I think about them. And I can just really get fixated on them, whether it's issues of, of politics or racism. I just you know, end up all worried about the future of the country. And I can be on all a downer and be like, oh, this is so terrible, back in my day, blah, 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 blah. And I'm not saying those things aren't important. But here's a promise for you from God's word. This is found in John 16, starting in verse 32. Jesus says, Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone for the Father is with me. Again, this is the night before Jesus is, is crucified. Uh, and, and he's like, look, I, I know I'm going to be abandoned. I know I'm going to be left alone. But that's okay, because I also know God is with me. He will never abandon me. His promises are true. You continue in verse 33, and we read this. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Notice his two promises to us in this. First, he promises us that we will have issues and we will have problems in this world. But second, he promises us that he wins. He promises us problems, but he also promises us victory. And our world around us is crazy probably only going to get worse. There will be persecution and tribulation. God promises us that. But remember, he also promises us that he will return. And there will be a day where he defeats Satan once and for all. There will be a day where we will be in heaven, where there's a place of no more death, mourning, crying, or pain. Think about that. Praise God for that doesn't matter what I see in my crazy world. God wins in the end. And so much of my worry and my obsession is with this, with this, is this, with this thing of the things of this world. I, I only am seeing things with my physical sight. And I have to doubt my perception before I doubt God's promises. God wins. That relieves so much of my stress and my worry. And I, and I think I think part of my problem is I can read passages like Joshua 1, where God, it's, it's where God is uh, in, um, installing Joshua as the leader of the nation of Israel, and he commands Joshua to be strong and courageous. And I read passages like that, and I'm like, I, I hear that command. I need to be strong. I need to be courageous. I need to go and, and do things. But I miss sometimes the why. Why was Joshua supposed to be strong and courageous? If we look at Joshua chapter one, um, looking down at verse three, we read this. 
This is what God says to Joshua. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. And then in verse five, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. You see here, Joshua wasn't supposed to be strong and courageous because of his physical might or strength. He's not supposed to be strong and courageous uh, based on his possessions, his money, his, his, his talents. He wasn't supposed to be strong and courageous because he was a, a good leader or anything like that. He had natural gifts or abilities or anything like that. His confidence is supposed to be based on the promises and the presence of God. God said, everywhere you go and everywhere you step, I'm giving that to you. As I was with Moses, I'm with you. As you saw me do all these things to the Egyptians before, I'm going to do that again with you here. And that's why he's supposed to be strong and courageous. And I may not always see God's presence or feel or, or see his promises, but I can always, always, always trust him. And I should doubt my perception before I doubt God's promises. And with his first spy story, you saw how they trusted their perception uh, that they're weak and their enemies are strong and they gave into fear and doubted God's promises of deliverance. Now, the second spy story happens about 40 years later, um, and we're going to see the the exact opposite. We're going to see an overconfidence or a false self-confidence. So now uh, Joshua has, has taken over from Moses and he's leading the people. They've entered the promised land. Uh, you know, they, they conquered Jericho for six days. They marched around it one time a day. Then on the seventh day, they march around it seven times. They blow the trumpets, walls come tumbling down and all that. Um, and they conquer Jericho. But now before they went and conquered Jericho, God had said, hey, when you go take this place, I don't want you to take any of the, don't loot it. Everything in the city is either to be destroyed or dedicated to the Lord. But Achan sees some nice gold and some nice silver, and he's like, I'm going to take that. I'm going to hide it in my tent. And so the next, after Jericho, they want to go take and conquer Ai. And this is what we read in chapter 7 of Joshua, starting in verse 2. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Bethaven east of Bethel, and said to them, go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, do not have all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men went up from, from the people and they fled before the men of Ai. Now here you see them go and spy out the land again, but now they have this great confidence. First question we've been asking, well, what do they physically see? Well, they physically see an enemy that's small or weak. And again, this is probably a, a right and accurate and true assessment that their enemy was weak. What did they conclude based on their physical sight? Oh man, this is an easy victory. We just sent a few thousand men. No problem, no issues, no anything. But you'll notice here their reason for going and attacking with confidence. They never say, we can go with confidence because, you know, God delivered us before Jericho. He defeated the Egyptians. They're not mentioning God's past past, uh, performance or they're not reminding themselves of God's promises. Their motivation is solely, hey, 
It's an easy enemy. No problem here. Well, what's the bigger perspective from God's view? Many of you are familiar with the story. The people have sinned and they clearly haven't sought the Lord. And I want you to see this contrast between what we see in chapter 7 and now what you're going to see in chapter 8. They have found out about Achan and his sin. They dealt with it. They've repented. And now they're finally ready to go take Ai. And notice the contrast between chapter 7, which you just read, and chapter 8 here, starting in verse 1. It says this. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai. For I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourself. Set an ambush behind the city. Notice how here God is giving them a really clear direction on how to move forward. You know, in chapter 7, they're just kind of doing their own thing, what seemed right to them. And honestly, based on their physical sight, not a bad idea. But here in chapter 8, you so clearly see how God is leading, how God is directing. You know, before when they, t- before when they took Jericho, they had purified themselves. They had consecrated themselves before that battle. And when they initially go after Ai, they're just like, hey, we won before, let's just do it again. Um, And yes, while I believe they lost the first battle of Ai because of Achan's sin, you so clearly see that their path was one of self-confidence. And my sin always interferes with my sight. With the 12 spies initially that Moses sent out, you saw a lack of confidence based on their physical sight. Here now, uh, when they initially went and spied out Ai, you see an, an overconfidence based on their physical sight. But on both extremes, whether the lack of confidence or overconfidence, both extremes forget God. They're only seeing the world through their physical sight and through their perspective and ignoring God's truth and God's perspective. Now, this issue of, of overconfidence is one of, one of the major issues, I think, that plagues us with our material wealth and possessions here in Northern Virginia. Um, while I was in Haiti last time, uh, I'm pretty sure Pastor Francois' wife, Madhu, was passing a kidney stone. Sometimes some medical things are lost in translation there. Now, she was just oh, in a lot of pain. She, oh, man, she was in bad, bad shape. And if I had seen anyone like that in that, in that shape here in the U.S., I would have immediately taken them to a doctor, taken them to an ER uh, to get them some help and get them some treatment. I mean, that's our, that's our initial response here. And that's not a, a wrong response when someone is in a lot of pain. That's my first instinct. But there she's like, hey, uh, I just saw her in really bad pain one day. And she's like, hey, Pastor Aaron, can you pray for me? Restaurant says, sure, I mean, I'm like, I'm a pastor, I, I can pray for you. But I'll be honest with you, as I'm, like, there's part of me that I'm praying, I'm like, what is this going to do, right? Like, she needs to go see a doctor, like, not have me pray for her. Um, yes, I'm demonstrating my extreme faith here. Um, but I'm telling you, the next day, she was like, totally back to her normal self. And she goes up to me, yeah, you prayed and I'm all better. And 
And again, medicine isn't wrong or bad or anything like that. But are we even bringing these issues to God? Or is my first response to, is my first response to turn to my money, my possessions, or, or, and my wealth, or my technology, you know, all the progress our, our country has made? Do I, is that where I go first? Or do I even consider the Lord? And just so, you know, no one here forgets Pastor Mike, you can probably hear him going off right now on the world system. Um, you know, if technology could solve all our world's problems, you know, we'd be in our utopia right now. But that's, that's the way I think all the time. And it shows that my confidence is in my stuff, my possessions, my technology, and not in the Lord. And not that those things are bad, but where do I turn to first? And if it's not the Lord, it shows off my arrogance. Same thing can be said about areas of politics, financial provision, our security, our 401ks. Where do you turn to first? And I want to remind each of us here, there is only one ultimate savior and, uh, savior and source of salvation in this world. And that is Jesus Christ. And if I don't keep that in mind, it's like looking at the world when my eye was swollen and all messed up from a baseball. It's like looking at the world without your glasses. You're only seeing a portion of the truth and a portion of reality. See, the reality is you and I, I have a desperate, desperate need for God every day. Lamentations 3 says, it's because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. The reason that I woke up today, the reason I have breath in my lungs today, the reason I can speak, the reason I can do anything today, and I'm not sitting in judgment right now is because God has been good and kind and merciful to me. I need my God every single day. And when I just see things with my physical sight, I am making myself to be God. I'm exalting my views uh, as superseding the promises, the power, and the presence of God. And, and to be honest with you, every day I need to start my day with, oh Lord, I deeply, deeply need you. Because I should doubt my perception before I doubt God's promises. You saw in the first spy story a lack of confidence where they put their fear over God's promises. In the second spy story, you saw a self-confidence, an overconfidence where they put their own pride above God's promises. The last story for you, it happened about a week or so before uh, AI. Uh, Joshua has, has taken over um, uh, taken over, and he's received all the commands that God gave him in Joshua 1. Be strong and courageous. I'm with you. I'm going to give you everywhere you step. And initially, Joshua takes over and he sends two men across the Jordan River to spy out Jericho. And as they go into Jericho, they end up staying with Rahab, uh, a harlot there. And she hides them from the king of Jericho who's trying to kill them uh, by having them lie down on a roof and throws a bunch of uh, straw over them. I want you to listen to what she tells the spies. And we read this in Joshua chapter 2. Starting in verse 8, it says, Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Now, 
Previously, we've been asking the question, well, what, do, what do they see? What do, on their physical sight, what, are they, what input are they getting? Well, here, really, they're not getting anything based on their physical sight. Maybe they see some scared people, but they're not getting any new data, new information from their physical sight. But what we read here is all about what God has done and about God's promises. Here, a Gentile woman, a harlot, a prostitute, knows that God has given them the land. She knows that God wins. She doesn't know how that'll happen or what it will look like, but she knows God wins. And so the second question we've been looking at with each of these spy stories is what was their conclusion based on their physical sight? Well, you notice they're not going to make any conclusions here based on their physical sight. That's not the source of truth in our world. My physical sight is not greater than God's promises. They're making conclusions solely based on what they have seen God do and his promises for them. And this is what we see in the next few verses. Look in verse 10. It says, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, who you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. There was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. How does she know God wins? She's heard stories about God. She's heard these stories. And I do think the stories we have of God's past faithfulness in our lives, in the lives of believers around us, in the lives of our family members, uh, and in the Bible should give us a huge, huge, huge confidence in our God today. And this is why I think it's so important uh, we as parents share the stories of where we see God's provision with our children. You know, If I look back and recount to you all the times that God has been faithful to me, I'm really foolish when I say, God, where are you today? Do I really think God just woke up today and was like, oh yeah, sorry, I forgot about you. Oh, man, that one slipped my mind. And this is where I should doubt my perception before I doubt God's promises. God's God, it's not like, he, oh, I'm sorry, I woke up on the wrong side of the bed. My back was a little sore. I just, you know, it's, no. He has been faithful to me over and over and over again. And I always need to look back and remember, oh yeah, you did that for me. You did that for me. You did that. I'm foolish to say, oh yeah, sorry, God forgot about me today. Continue in verse uh, 12 and we read this. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. Finally, uh, she's going to appeal to the two spies for salvation. Now, we, we've read here how she's reminding them of the promises of God and what God has done in the past. But again, I want you to notice what isn't in this passage. Rahab doesn't give them some great plan. She's not like, hey, when you come and attack, make sure you come in this back door. No one guards that. You can easily get in and kill us all, right? She doesn't have some, some help for them in, in, any way, in any way. She's not the one who tells them, hey, walk around the city for seven days or, or any of that. 
All you have here is an affirmation of the promises of God and a reminder of God's path's faithfulness. You know, so often, so often I want all the details. I say, God, I'm, I'll stop complaining. Just give me some better details here and then I'll, I'll obey and I'll listen. God doesn't. God is God and he does not need to answer me or give me all the details. There's a lot of what Jim was talking about last week in the glory of God. But God says, trust my promises. Act in obedience to my commands, even when it doesn't make sense. And Aaron, if you need a key detail for you, you're like, hey, give me some details. I'll give you a key detail. Here's a key detail, Aaron, you need to know. God wins. And because of my faith in Jesus Christ, I also win. I'm going to spend an eternity with God in heaven. And that is awesome. And when I don't get what I see around me, man, I, God wins. And I give a whole other sermon on this next point here, but I, I got to say, I find it so incredibly ironic here. That when, when these spies don't respond in fear based on their physical sight, when they don't respond in, in self-confidence based on their physical sight, when it's just a straight up, here are the promises of God, here are how I've seen God's faithfulness in our lives, that's when people come to know Jesus. Rahab, a harlot, a prostitute, came to know Jesus just as she observed God's faithfulness in other people's lives. Your peace and you resting in God's promises will be a greater testimony to the world around you than anything you or I could ever say. To be honest, um, this message I'm sharing it today is, is really one I've just been preaching to myself for the last few months. Um, I'm good at complaining. I'm good at having my mind consumed by worries and things that are far outside of my control. And I see all the time how these, these, this worry and complaint leads me away from doing what I know to be right or true. My fear makes me, and worry makes me angry. You know, if you don't believe fear and worry cause anger, just look at our society. Um, my my self-confidence makes me judgmental. I stop acting like who Jesus Christ would want me to be. And the problem is over and over and over, I am seeing things only with my physical sight. And yes, looking around the world, looking at the world around us, there are plenty of reasons to fret and worry. There is a mess going on around us. But if that is the only thing I see, it's like I'm looking at my world with a broken eye or without my glasses on because I'm missing the God portion of it. I'm missing, I'm missing so many big things. I'm missing big things like eternity. And this is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, our, our memory verse uh, for the week. He says in verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 5, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, while we're here on this earth, we are away from the Lord. We're not in heaven. For we walk by faith not by sight. It really doesn't matter what I'm experiencing today. If there is this thing <clears throat> called heaven and it lasts for all eternity, 
what I'm experiencing today is just a light and momentary affliction. Here's what I want to just leave you with and I want you to consider today. What is the simple promise of God that you need to hold on to, that you need to see the world through this week above your own physical eyesight and your perception? What's that promise that you need to hold on to? Because I should be doubting my perception before I doubt God's promises. When there's this conflict between what I physically see and the promises of God, I need to trust his promises. So what's that promise that I need to hold on to this week that I need to exalt above my perception? On the screen now is just a short list of some of God's promises. It could be longer. um, But for just a minute, I want us to, to stop and meditate. Think about these promises. Maybe you came in here today just really struggling with some of the sin in your life. And you're just like, man, I know I am just one messed up person. There is no way God could love me. God could care about me. I just, I'm terrible. And you're just feeling down. And man, that that promise there that as a believer in Jesus Christ, that as far as the east is from the west, so far my sin has been removed from me. As Romans 8, 1 says, therefore there is now no condemnation for any of us who are in Christ Jesus. Meditate on that truth. Let that truth sink in. Say, God, I trust that promise over what I feel or what I am experiencing right now because that is true. And as he says in Romans 8, 37 and 39, neither height nor depth, angels nor demons, anything past, present, future, Nothing can separate me and you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Maybe you're coming in today and there is a mess going on in your world, whether you're dealing with joblessness or issues with your family. I don't know, sicknesses, whatever those things are, rest in and know that God will never leave you or forsake you. He promises to be with us. He promises that that his character by nature is good and he is always working things together for our good, for those who, who, who love him and are called according to his purposes. And know and trust that he's going to provide. He, he clothes and provides for the, the flowers of the field and the birds of the air. And he will provide for us. He knows my needs even before I ask, even before I know him. You know, and and I know sometimes I'm like, I have been praying for forever, forever for this thing. God, why why isn't something happening here? I rest in Luke 11, uh, that verse there, where it says, which of you fathers, if your son asks him for a loaf of bread, you give him him a, a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, you're going to give him a scorpion. You being evil, you know how to give good gifts to your kids. How much more will your heavenly father give to those who ask him? God hears our prayers. God answers our prayers. I've got to trust in his promises over my perception of what's going on. And I understand things, things aren't answered in the way that I was expecting them. They don't happen on my timing. But these are his promises that I can rest in. And you might be like, man, but following you, living a, living a godly life, God, it's just, it's just hard. Yes. But as he promises us in, in 2 Peter 1, 
He says he has given us everything we need for life and godliness. He promises to empower us by the Holy Spirit. And as when, when we finally finish this walk, this relationship with God, he said, hey, in John 14, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And I'm gonna come again and take you to my house. That we could be with him for eternity. And I love, I love 1 John 2.25. It says, this is the promise that he himself made to us eternal life. So simple, so powerful. And I don't know where you are today. These are what I have to trust over my perception. And you may ask the question, but God, my life is a mess right now. How do I know? How do I know that I can trust you? Honestly, you don't really seem that trustworthy. If you look at all my life and all my circumstances, how can I trust you? Now, I could quote uh, verses uh, like Numbers 23, 19 that says, God is not man that he should lie or son of man that he should change his mind. When he speaks, he acts. When he promises, he fulfills. That's just God saying again, hey, I'm faithful to my promises. But I want to share with you Something that I think of through all the time, and I think it's the simplest and most powerful reason for why I trust God. And that's just simply Romans 5, 8, where it says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Note that it doesn't say when Aaron Osborne was super awesome and, and cool and had gotten rid of all the sin in his life and was really holy and became a pastor or any of these things that, that God died for me then. No, it said when Aaron Osborne it was shaking his fist at God and said, God, I don't care about you. I don't want to listen to you. I don't, I don't believe you. I'm doing my own thing. And I, I was like giving God the finger. When I was in that situation, the God of the universe loved me enough that he sent his one and only son into this world, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life that I could never live and to die on a cross to pay a penalty that I could never pay. And then three days later to rise from the dead, to give life to anyone who would believe in him. And if my God, if my God was willing to do that, if he was willing to send his own son for you and for me, he is worthy of my trust today. I may not see it. I may not understand it. It may make absolutely no sense to me. But I can trust in God's goodness and his promises even when I don't see it. And I love, I love in this verse, it doesn't say trust God because he said so. It says trust him because he demonstrated he has acted for you, on your behalf and on my behalf by dying on a cross for us to pay the penalty of our sin and giving life to all who would believe in him. To remember God's goodness and his promises today, we're going to pause now and celebrate communion together. Communion is a time where we look back and, and, and see what has God done for us in the past? You know, as we, we look at the bread, it is, it is his broken body for us, his death for us. As we look at, at the cup, it is his blood that cleanses us from sin. And we can look back as we're taking communion today and say, God, if you did this for me, I'm so grateful. 
and I can trust you today. It's also a time in communion where we look forward. We will be in his kingdom. All who believe in him will be in his kingdom one day for all eternity at his great banquet table. And this is a cause for celebration. It's a cause for joy. And that's why it says that by taking communion, we're proclaiming his death until he returns. But before we do that, I want to give us all just a minute to take a silent reflection. I'm going to put those promises of God back up on the screen. I encourage you to think through, God, what is the promise that this week I need to hold on to, that I need to trust above my physical sight and and my perception? Where do I need to trust you? What promise do I need to hold on to? And then as we're going to take communion with every every bite as we chew, as we drink, saying, God, yes, I trust you because you died for me and you give me life. Take a minute of of reflection and then I'll come back and we'll take communion together as a family. First Corinthians 11, verse 23 says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me for as often as you drink eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes
God in heaven, we come before you honestly with, with joyful and grateful hearts. That you, the God of the universe, would see our mess and would know our mess and would enter our mess. That you, the God of the universe, would willingly come into this world to live a perfect life and to die on a cross and rise from the dead so that we could have life. God, we worship you. We celebrate you today. We rejoice in what you have done today, Lord. And God, because of what you have done, because of your past faithfulness, because of, of, of what you've done for us on the cross, because of how you have, have just, you have been so, so good to us, Lord. And help us to remember that. Help us to see that, Lord. And God, help us to trust in you, your goodness and your promises, even when our physical sight doesn't compute it, Lord. God, help me never to doubt your word or your promises when they conflict with my physical sight. God, you are a good God. You are worthy of our praise and our worship. And God, may our lives today, uh, as our, may our lives this week, and may our lives this month in this Christmas season be trusting in you, be resting in you, in your goodness and your good promises to us. You are an awesome and amazing God. We worship you and we give you praise today. In your son's name we pray, amen.